So we're going to be jumping back into the book of 1 Corinthians this morning. We're kind of over the halfway point now, and so I really just wanted to give this kind of a new series title because the book has really shifted. And so the first half of the book, we kind of called this Church in Crisis, and so we were talking a lot about all of the issues in the Church of Corinth, all the problems that they had over and over. And kind of the second part of the book changes slightly where they still have a lot of those issues. It's not that they've figured it all out, but Paul has changed his letter to being more about answering some of their questions. And we've seen this already in a couple of chapters where it started in saying, you know, hey, now to concerning this. He's answering questions that they have, and so that's why I've entitled the kind of part two of 1 Corinthians, you know, Q&A or questions and answers with the Apostle Paul. And how nice would it be if you have the Apostle Paul to answer your questions for you? And that's what the Church of Corinth gets. And this morning, they get the answer to the question of really, how are Christians supposed to view freedom? Or what is a view of Christian freedom? That's a little different than the freedom that the world gives us, right? And I, I love freedom. I think most of us in this room are grateful for freedom. I just prayed and we celebrate and we're grateful we can worship together freely, which is where some of our brothers and sisters are not able to do that across the globe. And so we're thankful that we can. But what does Paul have to say, specifically in chapter 9 about Christian freedom? And what we'll find this morning, what I found in my own study, is that Paul's actually going to step on our toes a little bit this morning. Now, the way that the Bible and the way that Paul talks about it, at least Christian freedom is not necessarily the same way that we like to talk about it. And so what I want us to do is I want us to wrestle with the text this morning. One of the most beautiful things about the Bible is that it challenges us, all of us. Right? And there's, if you ever come through and you read through the whole Bible and you think, wow, there's nothing I had to change. I've got it all figured out. I'm doing it all perfect. I need to go back and read that again. But so this morning, that's the, the question that we are going to wrestle with this morning is really how are Christians supposed to view Christian freedom or some entitled it, what is the call of Christian freedom? And so this morning, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about our rights, we're going to talk about our reward, and then our application. Um, so that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, um, and I'm going to invite Bree to come up and read this passage for us. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope 
and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. That I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your apostle Paul, and thank you for hopefully some answers that he provides the Corinthian church that will speak into our lives um, as we embark on this portion of the scripture, Lord. I pray that you will be with David and um, send your Holy Spirit to speak through him and that his words would minister to our lives. In your name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you. It's a little unfair. The train hasn't been here in several weeks, and then, then it comes when I'm not speaking. But that's all right. Okay, so our, our first point or our first blank here for you is that Christians give up their rights. Christians give up their rights. Now, that phrase probably stings to hear. You may hear that and think, no, 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 that, that can't be it. This must be one of those pastor tricks, right, where they say something really witty, and then they kind of break it down. Well, I don't actually mean that. Here's kind of how I, I mean this. No, I, I mean this. And it's not me who means this. This is Apostle Paul who means this. This is his words. And I wanted to keep it simple and clear because I really think this is the heart of what this chapter says. I don't th it's not just the heart of this chapter. It's really kind of the heart of 8, 9, and 10. 
And, you know, in his own sermon about this passage, St. Augustine, the great African bishop, kind of the third, fourth century, said in a sermon on this passage that he really feared to say any more than this, that he was content to just read it and then sit down, because he was afraid that Paul is so clear that if he talks about it, he's going to obscure it and make it more difficult to understand. My favorite thing that he said is he said what's going to happen is that when people can't interpret Paul to suit their own devices, or when we hear God's Word and we think, oh, that doesn't fit what I think, what we do is we say, well, you know, these really clear and obvious words must be obscure and uncertain. And he says they say that because they can't just come out and say Paul is wrong, so we have to pretend that we don't understand what he's saying. Because Paul says, hey, I'm giving up all my rights. This is what Christians do. Christians should give up our rights. That is our normal Christian practice. And we go, I don't like that. That must not be what Paul means at all. He must, this is a very difficult passage to understand. That's a very clear passage to understand, but we don't like it, if we're honest. I don't like it. And Paul is saying this, and he's saying this, that this, using himself as an example of this should be, look at me. Look at how I do this. Now be, be like me. Imitate me. He gives himself as an example for us to follow. And he uses his rights as an apostle, as an example here. And the right that he primarily is talking about in chapter 9 is the right for him as, apostle, as an apostle, as a leader in the church, as a minister of God, to be paid for his work. So he's saying, I, I have the right to be paid for my work. And this whole passage isn't really about that. So this sermon isn't, in case you've noticed, it's not going to be about why you should pay me. Okay, that's not what I'm doing this morning, because that's not his point. I mean, that, that's in there, but that's not what he's talking about. He's trying to give it as an example of, here is a right that I have. And so when it, you hear rights, right, when we're even talking about this, it give, raises the question, well, who gives you those rights? For us, right, our, who, whose authority? On whose authority has given us the right to worship this morning freely? Well, we think for us, well, the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, it's right there in the name. There's a bunch of them. Okay, so we, we can look at it, we can point to it and say this right here, you know, the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights, that's what gives us the right to meet this morning. Okay, well, Paul has a lot more than just one place he can point to for his rights. He actually points to about six different places that give him the right to be paid. So we're going to walk through all of those. The first right, he says, because that's what Paul does, he says, I have the right to be paid because I'm an apostle. That's the first two verses. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen the Lord? Are you not my workmanship to others? And kind of in two, he's like, even if I'm not technically an apostle, I planted this church. Like, I, you should be considering me an apostle because I'm as good as one for you. And I don't think he's saying that because they're challenging his authority on if he's an apostle or not. He's just establishing, I have the right to be paid for my work because of my office, because of my job title. So that's the first one. The second one he goes then to is he points to common practice or common sense or kind of the way the, that this is. He says in four, you know, do we not have the right to eat or to drink, which is a subtle reference to worshiping idols or eating meat sacrificed to idols, which is what this whole chapter is also kind of about. Five, he says, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas or Peter do? Or is it only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working for a living? I'm saying all the other apostles are doing this is just me and Barnabas who aren't getting paid for being here. You know, don't we have the right to do that? Yes, of course. Look, every, everyone kind of knows we have the right to do this. Then his third one that he gives is the natural order of the world. He says the world understands. This is a basic world natural principle. 
Verse 7, is it not written, you know, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? And who plants a vineyard without any name of its fruit? Or who tends to a flock without getting some of the milk? It says the world understands all those people got to be paid. They deserve it. Right? You're not gonna, nobody's going to go be a soldier and go fight and die for free. That's silly. And we know, hey, we really probably... <laughs> almost. Yeah, yeah. We, we can talk about that. But it, you know, you're not going to send somebody overseas and then say, hey, well, by the way, find a job while you're over there because we're not going to pay for your housing or your food or anything. Figure that out. No, got, that's ludicrous. I know somebody who has a vineyard, surely, like they get to eat some of their own crops. Farmer gets to eat some of their stuff. If somebody's got cows, they deserve to drink some of that milk if they're working there. The world understands that this is part of how it should work. And it's also interesting, all three of these examples, the soldier, the, the one who's planting a vineyard, and a shepherd, are also three things that are used to describe pastors or apostles or ministers of the gospel in other places of Scripture. So Paul's just building his case even more and more. That's the third thing. Why is the right to be played? The fourth one he points to is Scripture. Verse 8, he says, do I say these things on a human authority? Does not the law say the same? He's saying the Bible says this. God's Word says this. And look, for it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an oxen when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? You know, or does not he certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, right? And he's saying, look, this is not really about oxen. It's also part of that principle. But this really was written about us, ministers, apostles of the gospel. That God wasn't just thinking about that ox, that it'd be really cruel if you made it just go through the whole field and work, and then you didn't feed it while it was doing all of that work. He's saying, no, you, you should also be paying us. Verse 11, if we've sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things? Saying, look, if my work's been valuable to you spiritually, if I've encouraged you, if I've helped you grow, if I've built this church up, and if it's really blessed you spiritually, then don't I have the right to get just a little material good back so that I can have more time and energy to do that? He says, I have the right to do this. Scripture says so. Fifth place, he points towards that gives him this right as religious custom. Verse 13, don't you know those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? He's saying, okay, since the beginning, this is also going back to the law of Moses, but priests and those who serve in God's house have always gotten to partake some of the offerings, right? Not all of it, all the tithe doesn't go to them in their pockets, but they get a, a little piece of it so that they can live. And they would do this in different ways. You know, when you bring the sacrifices, they could stick a fork in and get some lunch out. They're allowed to do that. So he's saying, look, this is kind of the normal religious custom for thousands of years for us, followers of God and His Word. I have the right to be paid. Sixth place he points towards is Jesus said so. Okay, it's always good to point to Jesus. Right, there are some who mistakenly think, well, you know, Jesus' words are more inspired than the other words. That's a wrong way of thinking. It's all inspired and it's all pointed to Jesus. But whenever you're arguing with somebody, it's really good if you can point that Jesus agrees with me. Right, that, that's a helpful. Okay, it's tough to kind of trump that one. And you notice he saves that last. He's got five other things. And then he goes, hey, and Jesus said this. In verse 14, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. He's saying, Jesus also says that I have the right to be paid. Because this is my, this is my calling. This is what I've done. So Paul has just got a dump truck of his rights. If he's in court, like he, he wins. This is the big you know, climax at the end of the movie because his argument is unassailable. 
Is that based on, you know, my office, I have the right, the natural way of the world, common sense, the Bible, Jesus, religious custom, all of these things give me this right. There is no one who can say, I don't have this. You cannot take this away from me. Pulls out a you know, card, this laundry list of all of this. Yet, then what does he say? After all of that, well, in 12, too, he says, nevertheless, I've not really made a use of this right. And then, wait, Paul, what do you mean? Why would, why would you do that? Why would you give me a list of all the reasons you have this right and say, but I don't want it? In verse 15, he makes it even more clear. I have made no use of any of these rights. I don't want these. And nor am I writing these things to secure this provision. He's also saying, I'm not giving you this big list so that you feel guilty and then start writing checks. I don't want that. But what he does is he wants them to be very clear that this is something he is giving up. Something that he is sacrificing. It's not something that he doesn't deserve. It's something he has every right in the universe to. And yet he says, I'm okay. I don't want it. In fact, he, he makes it as, about as strong as you can, saying, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. I would actually rather die than make use of this right. That's how serious I am about giving this up. Yeah, that's weird. We don't talk about rights that way, right? We die for our rights. It, we, we die because we want to secure them and keep them safe. Paul says he'd rather die than take them. That's, that's strange. What's going on here? Well, part of it for Paul specifically is he doesn't want to be paid by the Corinthian church because he fears that it's going to compromise the gospel. And he would rather die than compromise or limit the ability to preach the gospel. And why is this? Part of this is because the city of Corinth that practices patronage, which is this, this practice where, you know, well-known philosophers or speakers or artists or people would have a wealthy patron, right? Somebody who's got a bunch of money and who will then pay them so that they can have the time to pursue their art or pursue their philosophy or pursue their preaching or their teaching. Gives them that ability. But in that world, too, it comes with kind of some catches, right? Now you're indebted to this person who is over you. And this is a well-known practice. There are lots of other speakers and philosophers at this time who have all of these patrons who do this. And Paul does not want to be that. And there's a few reasons. One, you know, he doesn't want the church in Corinth, which is already a giant mess, to have any authority over him and start, you know, pulling the pockets. Say, well, you know, Paul, I don't think we're going to kick that guy out of the church you wanted us to. And if you kick him out, I'm going to take all my money away. We'll say, no, 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 I'm, I'm not messing with any of that. I don't really care. But he also, more significantly, he doesn't want anyone to think that he's in this for the money. He doesn't want anyone to be able to look and to point at Paul and think, ah, oh, well, look, he's, he's getting rich. Look at the fancy horse that Paul has. Or, you know, look at the fancy house. Look at all the fancy stuff Paul has. He must be in this for the money because look at all the money that he's getting. That's why he wants me to come join his church, so I'll start giving, tithing to him. He says, no, I'd rather make tents during the week. I'd rather sell enough that, you know, I'm not that great, but I'm not, and I'm not really super comfortable, but no one's going to be able to say that I'm a charlatan or that I'm a grifter or a huckster. And Paul is offering up his own life as an example of a principle that we, all Christians, are to live by, that we should be known as those who are more willing to give up our rights for the gospel. That even the things that Scripture, God's Word, the world, the Bill of Rights, whatever it is, you, you fill in whatever you want in your laundry list of why I have these rights. We should be known as people who are willing to give those up for the gospel and for Jesus. Now, honestly, I'm... I'm not really interested in softening that 
Um, I don't really want to spend time to give you exceptions on those rights or what you don't have to give up because let's be honest, as soon as I said that, you all started making that list in your own head. You started thinking, well, clearly he doesn't mean this and he definitely couldn't mean that and it's probably not that either. And, you know, it's also not that. That makes me think of this other thing that this scripture is not about, right? So I'm not going to spend time because you're, you're doing that on your own. So I'm going to let you go ahead and do that because I, you know, I think what we need and what I needed in studying this is we need to just sit in the discomfort of this passage and really listen to Paul. I would rather sit and let Scripture stab me in my heart and hurt me and cut me rather than soften the blade of Scripture. I don't want to spend time this morning telling you all the ways that you don't have to follow God's Word. I'd rather sit and think, well, what? maybe how am I supposed to obey this? Instead of spending all the time thinking, well, how do I not have to listen to Paul? So that's why I'm not going to really give you any, any exceptions, because I want us to just wrestle with this, because Christians should be known as those who give up our rights for each other and for the gospel. In chapter 8, Christians give up our rights if it's going to cause our brother or sister in the faith to sin. Whatever we have the freedom to do, if it's going to cause someone else to sin, we give it up. Chapter 9, we give up our rights if it's going to hinder the gospel at all. Chapter 10, Paul's going to hit this again. So in case you were hoping I'd get away from this, I'm sorry. We're going to hit chapter 10 next week, and Paul's going to hit it again. So I've got to talk about it again. And in chapter 10, Paul says, we give up our rights for our neighbor because we love our neighbor more. And if it's good for our neighbor, then I'm going to give up whatever it is so that I can bless them instead because what's good for my neighbor is more important than my own rights. So this is a principle that we hold on to. Like we don't hold on to our rights with a tight fist ready to fight anybody who would take it from us. But we look and are open of, well, how can I sacrifice? What can I give up for Jesus? What can I give up for the gospel? What can I give up for others? And this has been one of my fra- real frustrations um, when it, over the past years we've gone through COVID and masks and vaccines. I've just really struggled to understand. I, I don't understand why people, well, I do understand why people disagree. It's pretty easy to understand. Okay? People just disagree about really everything. Sky's blue, no, it's not, it's red, it's something else, it's magenta, you know, whatever you want to call it. But what, what I've struggled to understand is why Christians are some of the loudest voices on this. I've seen study after study of how Christians are the people who are least likely to wear a mask and are the least likely to get a vaccine. Why? And when it goes down to it, they're all, well, my rights, this is what I care about, my rights are the most important thing. But every time I've found Paul in, in these passages talking about rights, it's specifically about stuff that Christians give up. This is a principle that we live by. I'm not saying this passage clearly says that everyone must get the vaccine and wear masks. So that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is, and shouldn't we be known more, as Paul wants to be known, as people who give up and sacrifice everything for others, for the brothers and sisters, for the gospel, rather than those who are unwilling to sacrifice anything if it's inconvenient. I'll, I'll, I'll get off that. That's point number one. Point number two, our reward. Point number two is that the gospel is the greatest reward. The gospel is the greatest reward. So you're probably asking, well, why should I do that? Why should I give up my rights? Why should I give up anything ever? Well, because the gospel, the gospel is the greatest reward. The gospel is more important than any of our rights. And Paul answers the question for us in 18. What is my reward? Okay, why would I do this? Why would I give up literally a big bag of money? For a bigger bag of money later on? Better investment? No. What is my reward? That in preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my rights of the gospel. Paul is saying the gospel is reward enough for me. The gospel is enough. 
who says, why in the world would I need all these rights when I just get to tell people about Jesus? I'd rather tell people about Jesus than that. And how weird does that sound to us? That's not what we would expect, right? We'd expect, well, we give them up because in heaven we're going to get an even bigger bag of money that lasts longer. Or maybe in heaven it will be even more awesome. We'll get the biggest mansion in the new heavens of new earth. You know, we'll give up my freedom so later I can have a bunch of heaven bucks or heaven dollars or something to spend at the store. You know, no, that's not what Paul says. He says, you know what? Just getting to tell people about Jesus is the best thing in the world. And I'd rather, I'd give up anything to be able to do that. That's what Paul says. Paul says, I don't want to be paid because I want people to hear the gospel from my lips. I don't want anyone to be able to point to my money and wonder about my motives if I care. I, I will give up anything and everything as long as it's not sin if it gives me just the chance to sell people about Jesus. And he's not even saying so that they can be converted. He's just saying just for the chance. That they may just spit in my face and tell me I'm an idiot. Paul said, that's good enough just to get the chance to do that. I will live uncomfortably in my little makeshift tent. Why? Because Paul wants, he thinks the gospel is the greatest reward, and he wants people to think that he genuinely only cares for their souls, and that's it. There's kind of this funny um, Instagram account, which I'm not really on Instagram very much, except to look at pictures reposts of the boys every now and then, which I've seen anyway, but you know, I can't see too much of them, so it's always nice to see more. But there's this Instagram account called Preacher Sneakers. And what, what it does is it just posts pictures of kind of famous pastors, Christian celebrities on television. Just posts a picture of them, and then next to it, it just starts saying, hey, well, here's how much those shoes they're wearing cost. And here's how much that jacket costs. And here's how much those sunglasses, for some reason, they're wearing inside cost. And they're usually, you know, thousands, hundreds of dollars on the low end, thousands of dollars in some ends. Hey, Pastor Blank, that jacket is $4,000. Just see, so you know, that's, you know, that's kind of it. Then it's resonated with people, right? Blows up, gets a lot of followers, not just Christians. Why? Because when we look at it, we can just go, hey, that's not really a great look, is it? So we can point to it, and whether it gives the appearance, valid or not, valid or not, but it looks like money is really important to you if that's what you're wearing. And what's it say about the gospel when you're doing that? And so when the world looks at that, what they see on television is somebody with all the fanciest stuff and the biggest Rolex and, and whatever. They go, ah, that person obviously doesn't, is disingenuous. They're, they're, not, they're not really in it. They're just in this for the money. I don't have to listen to that. What Paul's saying is you can never find me on that Instagram account. Because right? he doesn't want that. He'll give up not just that but anything because he wants to tell people about Jesus. On the other hand, I can think kind of a, a positive example or modern-day example of this is John Piper. Um, he's a, a well-known, retired, but influential pastor. He's written a bunch of books. I tried to start counting them, but I stopped after 35 because I just didn't want to keep going. Um, he's written a bunch. Okay, and they sold millions, millions and millions of copies. So that's a lot of money. Okay, if you're selling millions of books for 20 bucks and you're getting a royalty check for that, that's a lot. Okay, that's a good amount of money. But you know what he's done with his money? With all those royalty checks? What he did was he set up a charity, and he gave all the rights to his book over to this foundation. And all the money just goes there. And then once a year, he sits down with the board, and all they do is they sit down and talk about how they're going to give away every single cent that came in this year. So he doesn't make a dollar off of any of those books. And in talking about it, he says, well, the church pays me enough, and... They probably pay me a little too much, and so I don't need any more money. And I'm just, I'm writing these because I want to 
reach people with the gospel and bless the church. So what am I going to do with millions of dollars? I'll just give that away. He'd talk about it and say, wealth is an evil temptation. I want to just avoid it. You know, and that, that's easy to say, right, when you're, when you're poor. It's harder to say when you've got millions in front of you that are just waiting, just saying, well, do you, do you want this? Like, ah, no, I'm okay. Okay, that's harder to say then. And there's plenty you can criticize John Piper about before, right? I've had issues with him over, off and on over the years. But here's what you cannot do about him. You cannot say that he is in it for the money. Why? Because he's just removed that. He's given it all away. And this is what Paul is doing. He doesn't want anyone to be able to accuse him of that. He wants to try and remove anything that would stop somebody from getting to listen to the gospel. Why? Because just telling somebody about the gospel is the greatest reward. Now, how many of us would say that? Okay, not how many of us would all give up all of that money, but how much of us would give up much less than that? Okay, there's a lot of things, much less than millions of dollars every year that we refuse to give up on because, well, it's just too important to me, whatever that is. And how many of us would give up those things just for the chance to bring the God, preach the gospel, just the chance? Okay, not for an easy convert, not for the, the definite idea or the surety that this person will embrace Jesus if I just do this, just for maybe. Maybe I have no idea how they'll respond. Point number three, or our, our application is really this question of, man, what are you willing to give up for the gospel? What are you willing to give up for the gospel? Paul, in here, kind of 19 to the, the end of the chapter, gives one of the best passages about evangelism in the Bible. And it can be kind of easy to, to misunderstand or misconstrue what he's saying. And the key statement is really in verse 19, where he says, though, though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. What is he saying? Though I have all the rights in the world, because I'm free. Okay, all i got to do is follow and love Jesus and tell people about the gospel. So I can do anything that's not sinful, yet I make myself a servant to all. Yet I'm willing to give up anything that i got to give up so that I can tell people about Jesus. Why? That I might win some. Paul is more concerned about his ability to reach those around him than he is about his own desires, than he is about his own freedom. You literally see this all the time. I don't read any of Paul's letters that he writes in prison where he's talking about the petitions they need to sign or where he's talking about how they need to take this up the ladder, take this to the Supreme Court, let's go to Nero. He's talking about, well, let's go to Nero. Then I can just tell Nero about Jesus. I don't really care if he kills me or gets me out of prison, leaves me in prison, whatever. Like, I'm just here to, to talk about the gospel. That's all I want. It's, again, not quite the way we talk about those things. And based on this desire, he talks in verse 20, he says, well, because I'm willing to give up anything to tell people about Jesus, so to the Jews, I'll become a Jew. In order to win Jews and those under the law, I'll be as one under the law. Though, that kind of key thing, not being under the law myself, but why? Because he wants to teach them about Jesus. And so where we can misunderstand this is we can think Paul's talking about being a hypocrite, where he's just acting schizophrenic or changing his personality and who he is based on who he's around. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that he's, and again, it's the context of giving up Christian rights and freedom. He's saying, I'll give up any of them, you know. If I'm going to go hang out with somebody and they think that, you know, we got to pray on Saturdays and that's when we go to synagogue and I need to wear this hat or do this thing, then sure, I'll do that. Fine. If me not doing that is going to keep me from being able to tell them about Jesus, then I'm willing to do it. But he is saying in that, well, I'm still not going to sin. If there's something that's sinful, I won't do that. But I'll, I'll do whatever, I'm going to follow the law as much as I can. 
And when I'm around the Gentiles, those who aren't under the law or those who are outsider, I'll act like them too. So those who are Gentiles who don't know Jesus, I'll be as much like them as I can without sinning so that I can tell them about Jesus. Why? Why would Paul do this? Because he doesn't want a secondary issue to keep someone from the gospel. He wants to emphasize the things they can have in common so he can tell them about Jesus. That's what Paul wants to do. And, you know, one of the things that's helped me with this a little bit is, you know, I've got siblings who are kind of all over the political spectrum, which is good, not good in some ways when, you know, that comes up the dinner table. But I've got, you know, one who's way more to the right than I am and thinks I'm crazy liberal. I've got one who's way more to the left than I am and he thinks I'm just this radical conservative weirdo. So one thing that's helped me is it's taught me how I can talk to people on both ends. It's taught me how I can find places to emphasize our similarities or core convictions or, or concerns we both have. And that's good when I'm trying to evangelize or meet people in the neighborhood or share the gospel with somebody. If I meet somebody who thinks something that I think is kind of wacky, well, what am I going to do? In that moment, I've got a choice. I'm going to start telling them how their political beliefs are way different than mine, or I can just give up that and, well, where can I agree with them? Because I'd rather tell them about Jesus than tell them about which party they should vote for or why they should have think, thought this instead of that. Am I trying to compromise what I believe? No, but I don't want to push something that isn't necessary for Christians to believe before the gospel. I care a lot more about if somebody knows Jesus or not than if they vote the way I do. Not that it's not important, but let's keep the important thing first. There are things that we need to be willing. That's just a small example, but there's stuff we need to be willing to give up so that we can share the gospel. And Paul uses the example of this athlete in kind of 24 through 27. And it's something the Corinthians would have understood really good because they like sports just like we like sports. Now, Corinth didn't have the Olympic Games, but they had their own games. Okay? They had the Isthmian Games. And it took place every two years. So Olympics are only every four years. You, you got these games even more often. And these games would actually take place in Corinth. Right? So that's a big deal. That's exciting. You know, everyone's kind of pouring in, tourists, and they're celebrating. They're doing all this stuff. And a lot of the athletes who would compete at these games would go on to the Olympics. This is kind of like, you know, your, your baby step, preparation for it. And so Paul uses these athletes as examples of those who give up their rights. They discipline themselves. Verse 24, don't you know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize. It says athletes are giving up a lot of things to get where they are. A lot. Right? They're giving up the right to eat wherever, whatever they want, whenever they want. Okay, no McDonald's if you're trying to, you know, beat the best mile time. Okay, they're, they're giving up the, the right to do what they want on their free times on their Saturday mornings. They're probably practicing more. They're giving up a lot, of their, a lot of their stuff, a lot of their freedom. Why? So that they can compete in a race where only one person gets to win at the end of it. All of that sacrifice, especially for the Olympics, you got years of sacrifice. And even the Olympics, especially now, it's like you've got to be born in a certain window to have your best shot. If you're born at one date instead of another, you may only get one Olympics to go for it. So you're going to sacrifice for 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years to dedicate yourself to some sport. And then at the end of it, only one person wins and you might lose. And that's all you're sacrificing it for. And what do they do? What do they do all of this so that they can get in 25? They do it to receive a perishable wreath. 
a perishable wreath. So I, I did some research to look up what is the prize that they got back then, right? We get gold medals now in the Olympics, but what did they get back then? Okay, perishable wreath must have been pretty cool at least. You know, maybe it's a nice little gold wreath or crown. No, basically what they got back then um, was a pine wreath. Just a pine wreath. So kind of like a wreath you might put up in your house around Christmas time. Okay, but not a, not a nice plastic one that's going to last good. This is a natural one where you're going up and picking up pine needles and pine stuff and weaving it together. So when it says perishable, this prize is really only going to last about three or four weeks till it goes bad and you've got to throw it away. So all of that sacrifice, all of that effort, all of that self-control, all of that discipline so that they can win a smelly pine wreath that they're going to have to throw away really soon. What a terrible prize. That doesn't sound worth it to me. Not at all. Well, Paul's saying if athletes are willing to give up all of that time and all of that sacrifice for just this little dinky pine wreath, how much more should we as believers, as we as followers of Jesus, be willing to give up so that we can receive an imperishable wreath? So that we can be rewarded, not just with the ability to tell people about Jesus, but with the rewards from heaven. You know, what are some things we, we can give up? I mean, we can give up the chance to be right. We can give up the, the right to tell people how wrong they are in a conversation about something. We can give up our preferences. We give up a lot of things if we care more about loving someone and telling them about Jesus than we care about whatever it is. You fill in the blank. And I phrase this really as a question because it's an important question. And if we're honest with ourselves, most of us won't, don't really want to give up anything. So our answer to what are we willing to give up for the gospel, really, really nothing. They should give it up. They're the ones who aren't saved. I'm saved. What's the, it's their problem. I'm good. But that's not our, our Christian attitude. Our attitude is to be that we're willing to make sacrifices, even our, our own rights, so that we can tell people about Jesus. So where we've been at this morning is, you know, point number one, our, our principle is really that Christians give up their rights. Why? Because the gospel is the greatest reward. So the question for us is, what are we willing to give up for the gospel? Uh, I'll kind of close with this story. You know, I, I'm no stranger to some of the sacrifices athletes made. So I, I was really just an athlete in high school. So, you know, don't be too impressed with anything at all. Uh, but wrestling is my favorite sport. I've talked a little about it a little bit, and wrestling demands especially a lot of discipline. Wrestling demands you give up a lot, especially a lot of your rights. So the most important thing of being a wrestler is you've got to make weight. Okay, and what that means is you literally, before the meet, you've got to go in a room and strip down basically naked, uh, really naked if you're really close to making weight, and you step on a scale, and if it is one-tenth of an ounce over the weight that you need to be, you're disqualified. You don't get to compete that day, and you're done. So what that means is each week, I, along with many people on the team, would have to lose weight. For me, it was about 10 pounds every single week that I needed to cut. Okay, for I weighed about 135, and I needed to get down to 119. Every single week, having to lose that much weight. I'm pretty skinny. I was even skinnier then, and I, I was still cutting that weight. So what does that mean? Well, I gave up my rights to a great dinner. Okay, most days when I came home, I didn't eat dinner. What I had for dinner was I went in the freezer, and I got out a little thing of orange juice, that was frozen, and I ate it with a spoon very slowly because that was about all I'd had eaten that day. And in the morning, you know, most of the time I'd eat about as slowly as possible. I may have a piece of bread or a little, um, little bar of 
like a protein bar, and I would sit there in class, and I would just break off the tiniest little piece and just look at it for a while and put it in my mouth, try to make it last. That'd be about what I would eat. Okay, so I'm giving up the rights to all of that food. I give up the right to enjoy Thanksgiving dinner because there's usually a meat that weekend. So my Thanksgiving dinner was the tiniest piece of turkey you could imagine. And then afterwards, I would have to go run several miles. I have to do all of this. It demanded lots of sacrifice just to even get the chance to maybe compete, to maybe be the one who could win the prize. But it was better. You know, we didn't get a little pine wreath. Our big prize was a piece of paper. Okay, but not just a piece of paper. It was a big piece of paper. So we call it the big paper. And on it, it would say, you know, winner, champion. So this is the team. As a team, we kind of joke about that. Well, hey, you going to get the big paper today, man? You think you're going to get that? So that's what we'd hope for. And so I'd sacrifice a lot to get that. You know, I didn't win a ton of times, but I got a couple pieces of paper. And I got some cheap medals. And they're just sitting in my garage in a box. Um, and they'll probably sit there in that box until either I or Bree throws them away or until I die. And then my sons go through the junk and go, what is this junk? And then they throw it away. That's it. You know, but if, if I'm willing or if athletes are willing to starve for four years, right, just to win maybe a little piece of paper that doesn't matter, how much more willing should I be to give up stuff to tell people about Jesus? How much more willing as believers should we be to sacrifice whatever we can, whatever we can, if it gives us the ability to tell someone about Jesus? Our attitude shouldn't be, if we, know, if we realize there's a barrier, if they realize there's something, we, we should be willing to give that up, whatever that is. Why? Because because we love Jesus, because we care about the gospel, because just the chance to tell someone about Jesus is the greatest reward that we could get, that it's better than anything else. So what, what about you? What are you willing to sacrifice for the gospel? What rights, what freedoms, what preferences, what things are you willing to give up because you love Jesus more? Or... Do you, do you love your own freedom, your own stuff, your own whatever, fill in the blank, more than you love saving souls or getting to tell someone about Jesus? That's the question that we just need to sit with this morning. I invite our worship team to come up as I close this in prayer. Um, Lord, I, I thank you that you have saved us. Lord, I thank you just for the, the sacrifice that your son made on the cross. All the things that you gave up, your right to be king of the universe. You were willing to come and be stuck in a tiny baby's body. That you gave up your right to a fair trial. You gave up so many things for us. Philippians 2, you poured yourself out. Why? Just because you loved us. Just to tell us the gospel, to deliver us from our sins. Lord, would you help us? Lord, would you press in our own hearts, press in my heart, God, the places in this passage that I'm unwilling to bend. Lord, would your word stab us and pierce us? Would you confront all of us where we're missing it? Lord, would we be people who are willing to give up whatever we can to tell people about Jesus? Would you give us that heart? Because we can't do that on our own. We need you to help us to love the people that you love and came to die for more than we love our own preferences, our own ideas. 
Lord, I just pray and ask that you would do this. Would you make us a people who are willing to give up whatever we can just so we can preach and talk about Jesus? And we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing one more time about our Lord. Thought we didn't go any faster because I was <laughs> falling behind real quick. Uh, I, I hope that you go out with joy this morning. Our benediction this morning from, from Hebrews for this month, uh, there's a phrase in here. I was just thinking about in, in 21 where he says that God will equip you with everything good that we can do his will. There are passages like this morning or many other things that God asks us to do. We think, ah, I don't know if I can really do that. But God's word in the gospel reminds us he equips us so that we can. You don't have to do it on your own. So to hear this benediction from the Lord in 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in the sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Go out with joy this morning, church family. God bless you.